Guys, welcome to the I Love Seville show on a Friday. Thank you kindly for joining us live in the Macklin Building in our studio on Market Street. A hop, skip, and a jump from all the buzz and activity and movers and shakers here in Charlottesville, Virginia. The epicenter of a 300,000-person market we call Central Virginia. Thank you kindly for joining us. The snowpocalypse is on the horizon. Um, I, for one, am, after 23 years of being in this community, um, realized that snow in this community is often sensationalized and rarely accurate. Now, I've seen snow wreak havoc in the community, but I, for one, think this will be perhaps a dusting, maybe some rain. Still, I literally see people walking by the studio storefront with bags of toilet paper, milk, and other food for a potential snowpocalypse. If you're looking at the screen right now, you may see me holding a bottle of Johnny Walker Black Label. Not just Johnny Walker Black Label, but age 12 years. A fine $60 bottle of scotch, courtesy of the director and producer of the I Love Seville show, Judah Wickhauer. He showed his generosity. Our bet was capped at a $50 bottle, and he went 20% above budget and clipped the $60 marker for our studio bar at I Love Seville. Maybe we can go to the studio cam and you can direct it to the studio bar as I put this fine bottle of scotch, Judah, um, in its shelf. Keith Smith is currently on his way to the ABC store to get yours truly a bottle of Ragged Branch bourbon, some top shelf brown juice. For losing the bet, I had Juan Diego Wade as the mayor. Keith Smith had Natalie Oshren. Judah Wickhauer had Michael Payne. So the studio camera will pivot to the studio bar as yours truly puts this fine bottle of scotch in its new home. Thank you, Judah. As you care... As you carry the show while I go over here, I think the bar, the bar is looking mighty nice. Do you, do you not think, you? It is looking very nice. I mean, we're, we're, we're top shelf across the board here. Shoot. And we're likely, oh, kill the studio camera. Now you got it all black. Shoot, unplug the studio camera with his leg. Um, he's currently plugging the studio camera in. A, a blooper reel uh, waiting to happen here, um, live programming at its finest. Perhaps another shot over at the bar, if, if the viewers and listeners have not seen it. Hold on. The man wears many scarves, many hats, many sweaters here on the Isle of Seville Network. If it's too much, we can go to a one-shot. Um, I woke up this morning to um, a Twitter is it Twitter? Is it X? And if, if it's X, if Elon is insistent upon calling his platform X, what are we going to call... Man, that beam really blocks the bar a little bit there. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, what are we going to call tweets? What is a tweet called? Why don't you go a two-shot here as we welcome Judah Wickhauer into the mix. What do we call a uh, tweet on the platform X? I mean, there's not really much else to call it besides X's, I think. I guess X's, yeah, I guess X's. So I woke up this morning to a tweet in X about an armed, heavily armed, white male gunman walking around Belmont and the Charlottesville Police Department um, encouraging, insisting everyone to maintain um, their positions in their homes. Shelter in place. Shelter in place. Thank you. The technical term. Thank you very much there, Judah Wickhauer. I was driving my son, driving our son to school, to kindergarten, uh, and getting notified, buzzing on my, my iWatch, my Apple Watch, hearing notifications in my buds. Siri, please don't interrupt, Siri. And... An armed gunman walking around Belmont. Not what you want to wake up to, but we love to give props to the police department. We back the blue on this network and on this talk show. We will always back the blue in, on this network and on this talk show. And the Charlottesville Police Department defused the situation. Evidently, Judah, this armed gunman was carrying an AR-15. I mean, that's an assault rifle. Along with other... What, what, it's, what? it's a rifle. You don't think an AR-15 is an assault rifle? No. How, how, 
He was carrying an AR-15, several long rifles, and wearing a ballistic vest at 7.30 in the morning in Belmont. I want to get back to the AR-15. Is that not an assault rifle? No, it's not. Okay. I don't believe it has... I mean, I don't, I, you, I don't know much about, if any, about guns. I don't know a whole it's lot It's semi-automatic. Either. I know that. Are you sure about that? Yeah, AR, AR-15 is semi-automatic rifle. It's a lightweight, semi-automatic rifle. Do you not call it, viewers and listeners, an, an assault rifle, an AR-15? Would it not scare the hell out of you, the H-E double hockey sticks out of you, if you saw a man wearing a ballistic vest, carrying many long rifles, including an AR-15? I mean, I'm not saying it wouldn't be terrifying. I'm just saying that uh, semi-automatic just means that it, you have to pull the trigger each time you fire a, a bullet. It's not like a, it's not like a tactical, you know, a tactical actual assault rifle where you just pull the trigger and it goes. Judah, uh, Woody Finch, I'm watching the program. Says the media calls them assault rifles, but they are semi-automatic. Yeah. Thank you for that clarification, Woody Finch. He did a fantastic job on Real Talk this morning, <coughs> talking about the impact of upzoning as it pertains to grade D infrastructure like the listing uh, we highlighted on yesterday's show um, that Mr. DL sent us, that Deep Throat also sent us, that Kimber Hawkey offered some feedback uh, after yesterday's show. 1316 Chesapeake Street, half a million dollars for 892-square-foot house, two-bedroom, one-bath that is on less than one-eighth of an acre, a home that is 83 years old. Woody Fincham's analysis was absolutely fantastic. Deep Throat um, and, and Mr. DL, thank you for putting that on my radar. We, if we want to dot the I's and cross the T's from yesterday, it's, it's quite clear that the lots with homes that are, say the word for me, Judah, dilapidated. Yeah, I think you got it right that time. I got it right that time. Thank you. I'm learning from you, my friend. The homes that are dilapidated, that are frankly teardowns, are the first lots that will be targeted in opportunistic fashion by speculators and investors. And once those homes that are dilapidated are torn down and the lots have new structures positioned or built upon them, that is going to change the assessment and tax exposure landscape of streets in the city of Charlottesville, further expediting or furthering gentrification. Gentrification is such a gloomy and doomy word, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it doesn't bode well for a lot of people once you start talking about gentrification. No. <coughs> it's not. Kimber Hawkey, in an email to me, and she's spoken before council uh, many times, um, it takes a lot of courage to speak before council. And, and we, we talked about this with Hillary uh, Lewis Murray, her new show, The Juicy Details. 215's Wednesday on the I Love Seville Network. I yep. thought it was fantastic. Got off Prior- a great start this week. Great start. For her, for her first show, I, oh, I yeah. legitimately graded a 94%. I mentioned that to her. Yeah, no doubt. We talked about before the show, during the show, and after the show, she mentioned today's culture or today's society, we don't have a mindset of agreeing to disagree anymore. Yeah, it's very sad. Recount, this, recount the conversation. I mean, I can't recount it word for word, obviously, but uh, she Nor basically was to. saying that um, that people are very quick to uh, uh, to just straight up shoot down anyone that disagrees with their opinion, and rather than having cultural, you know, cultured discourse about a uh, uh, um, something that you have differences of opinion about people just straight up. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure we've all heard people being called Nazis uh, just because they hold a different opinion or fascists or fascists. Fascists was a word that was thrown around during the Albemarle County general election school board race. Yeah. Dr. Meg Bryce was labeled a fascist right. by her opponents, which I found ridiculous it's ridiculous it's disheartening the fact that we can't have uh we can't have discussions uh trying to decide what's especially trying to decide what's best for our kids 
as if one side has has a lock on uh, you know exactly what is necessary for you know the proper um, teaching and uh, and the, pr- the proper you know how you how you run a school. So so the point here is Kimber Hawkey, uh, and I appreciate your email and I appreciate your analysis and uh, some of the feedback from yesterday's show. She mentioned and she said I she gave me her approval to that I could talk about this on the show. It says it in the email that um, she has faced significant um, resistance or significant, as she said, character assassinations Hmm. on social media for speaking against the upzoning or the draft zoning ordinance. And because of that, looking perhaps from perhaps more of a lower profile. Uh, And my response to that, especially someone who's locally in the public eye, like the fantastic Judah Wickhauer over there. I mean, who wears a scarf better than Judah Wickhauer right now? I mean, that's fantastic. I like the scarf. It's a fantastic accessory. Scarf's a great accessory. Fashion and function, the scarf. I love that it helps keep me warm. Fashion and function, right? Mm-hmm. So my point is this. She goes and speaks before council a dozen times. I mean, more than half a dozen. Mm-hmm. At least, I would say in the neighborhood of a dozen times. And is lambasted by a portion, a pocket, a population of the community. This world we live in, 2024, is one where a differing opinion or a disagreement or an opinion that doesn't cater to social norms is one that is not agreeable agreeable to disagree, is one that is not... um, How do I characterize it? There's no wiggle, wiggle room for, for disagreement. Right. Just a wiggle room for disagreement. I mean, one would almost think if the, there weren't laws preventing it, some of these, and I'm not, I'm not talking about any specific uh, uh, political bent or, uh, or um, philosophical belief, uh, but one would think that some of these people would outright uh, resort to violence. I mean, some of these people are so rabidly anti anything that, uh, that contradicts their, their viewpoint that uh, I think sometimes it's only law and, uh, and maybe, um, maybe others' opinion of them. So I think social media has a, a very strong hold on a lot of people. And if there wasn't that fear of, uh, of looking bad, I, I feel like a lot of people out there would just straight up, they'd pick violence. Uh, Neil Williamson watching the program, the president of the Free Enterprise Forum, he says, in my humble opinion, such character assassinations happen from both sides, especially on the fringes. I agree with that. Neil. Definitely. I certainly agree with that. Um, and an uh, interesting topic came up over the course of our conversation with um, Hillary on the show, The Juicy Details, Wednesdays at 2.15 p.m. on the I Love Seville Network. Her guest was Jeff Tang, and both Hillary and Jeff Tang? Yeah. And both Hillary and Jeff Tang are Darden uh, graduates. They have MBAs, Masters in Business. And Jeff highlighted this in particular, and it's really resonated with me. When you have a group that's, say, in a think tank setting or in a product development setting or a group that's working toward a common goal, the MBA mindset, not even a master's in business mindset, but just like a, a, a functional group, a group that, that yields proof of performance, they cater or almost crave disagreement. Like healthy disagreement yeah. is positive. Yeah. And, and I'm going I'm to characterize this the right way. Healthy disagreement or discourse that yields a friendly, combative conversation. Combative in ideas, not physicality. Yeah. Yields a better product in the end because those that are in the think tank or the group that are working their way to a common goal see other sides of thought. Yeah. You can't rely on everyone to have the exact same thought process. That's why when Judah and I are here in the studio and, and, and we may be bickering or arguing, 
or nitpicking or, or, you know, he's pissed off with me. I'm like, hey, this is healthy disagreement. It's working for the better of VMP brands and, 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 and our organization and the I Love Seville Network. Now, I have that mindset. I'm not sure you have that mindset. We have, we have, and I'll say this, and I'll catch some, I'll probably catch some heat for this. I catch heat often on the program. Charlottesville, the city in particular, has become a silo of common thought. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. It's become this, this, this pipeline of singular mindset. And those that want to offer resistance or go against the flow of the singular mindset are scarlet-lettered. They can be scarlet-lettered with social media character assassinations. They can be scarlet-lettered with nastiness in person or online, keyboard muscles. It didn't used to be that way. All right. There's an anthropology project, a sociology project waiting to happen there. How the community, the city in particular, got so singular, so siloed in its thought, in its mindset, in its approach. And I'm not even sure I could put my finger on what the answer is. Is the answer a byproduct of wealth? Is the answer a byproduct of wealth and the guilt associated with that wealth? Is the answer a byproduct of a homogenous demographic? I is the answer a byproduct of education, higher education, all elements of Charlottesville? Is the answer a byproduct, a lack of, of, of news, legitimate news sources to stimulate discussion and mental engagement? Is this because we're a news desert and we're not seeing multiple sides to a story? How do we become so singular in thought? I think a lot of times, and I think in this case, a lot of the blame probably goes to the outspoken nature of, as, uh, as Neil Williamson pointed out, the uh, extremes on either side. Uh, in this case, we happen to have a rather, I think we have a larger uh, subset um, on the left that is extremely outspoken and loud with their um, uh, with their thoughts and expressions, and are definitely willing to uh, bring those viewpoints to the the forefront via social media. And I think a lot of people are afraid of of. Uh, putting themselves in those crosshairs. Uh, Judah Wickhauer certainly is unafraid. What are they going to do? Call me names? Normally you say, do I have a choice? Uh-huh. I, I like that you uh, welcomed it. I certainly am unafraid. Uh, yeah, I don't Kimber Hawkey is shown unafraid. I mean, if, somebody, if somebody wants to, if somebody's going to freak out because I have an opinion, I'm not going to lose a whole lot of sleep over that. Shane Baker Sirbati says, it's sharing ideas, it's debating. Jim Hingley watching on X, he says, X calls them posts. They were formerly known as tweets. Thank you, Jim Hingley. Mm. We love you very much. Deep Throat talks about perspective. He says, there's no good definition of the assault rifle. An AR-15, I would call semi-automatic. He says, the issue is that disagreement is perceived as a product only of bad faith or evil, Deep Throat says. Go ahead and put Deep Throat's photo on screen. You can tell in this photo, where's the family resemblance of Deep Throat in this photo? What side of the family? I don't know his family. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, I have met his family. I have met uh, Deep Throat's parents, briefly. Met Deep Throat's parents. This obviously mm-hmm. is not Deep Throat, the photo we're it's putting on screen. not much to go on besides the chin. <laughs> There's not much. The photo on screen? Yeah. He says, uh, I mean, a very online public intellectual here responded to a next-door post I made pointing out some empirical questions about the, inf- the effectiveness of upzoning by saying he wanted to bulldoze my house. Perfect example of what we're talking about. Wow. Deep Throat says, how did the city become a locus of ideological conformity? I would say August 17th, August 12th, 2017. 
it weaponized by social justice left to tar anyone who disagrees with them as exponents of evil or old Charlottesville. Yeah, definitely. August 17th was... Uh, August 12, 2017. 12, yeah, yeah. It was a, a, a big, I think a big part of it. Anybody watching what, what went on, uh, you can clearly see that the, the narrative is that, uh, is that there, was only one, there was only one side to, uh, to the horrible things that happened on that day, and uh, I don't think that's true. Deep Throat also says, also having one large dominant employer probably does not help for the public discourse of both sides. Very good points there. Yeah. So we're starting the program with this. If you want to go to a one-shot, and then we'll go back to a two so folks can see the uh, headlines we'll talk about today. How did we get to a point in a city that we love so dearly? And if you live here, you probably love it. Now, you can have a love-hate relationship, but you still love it. Like, I love, I've been here 23 years, I love it. I started as a precocious and mischievous and um, eager and ambitious uh, first year at the University of Virginia in 2000, and now almost, gosh, 24 years in August, I'm still here. One of our businesses is, in fact, called I Love Seville. The network is the I Love Seville network, if you go to the studio camera. And in the almost 24 years I've been in this community, I am left asking this question to you, the viewers and listeners of this fine and fair talk show, how we've become a pipeline, a singular, a, a, a silo of singular thought. There was a time where this was a quirky little town, a quirky little town where you had The Hook, led by Hall Spencer, yep. David McNair, Lisa Providence, Courtney Stewart, fantastic weekly periodical. You had the Seville Weekly, which was much more robust in its news coverage than it is now. You had the Daily Progress, which I worked at for a number of years, which had a police reporter, an education reporter, a lifestyle columnist, and David Maurer. Reed Williams was the police reporter. You had a um, sports columnist. You had multiple UVA beat writers. You had um, Anita Shelburne writing the op-ed for the Daily Progress. You had Bob Gibson, an institution in media and journalism, covering politics. You had a UVA reporter, a science reporter, a schools reporter. I mean, the progress at one time, there goes Nicole Scro, the developer and builder and the attorney. Not necessarily a fan of this talk show, Nicole Scro, but she did just walk by the studio. Um, at one time, the, the media scene was so much more deep in its coverage. You had institutions, and NBC 29. I mean, speaking of a, a snowpocalypse, Norm Sprouse, the bearded weatherman. <laughs> an institution. Sharon Gregory. Henry Graff grew up at NBC 29. One of uh, a byproduct of Greene County, Henry Graff had so many strong connections within City Hall. Matt Talheim, another example. So here are some elements of why perhaps we've become this silo of singular thought and perspective where diversity of, of mindset and, and friendly combative debate is scarlet lettered instead of welcomed. Wealth, guilt associated with wealth, a homogenous demographic and race and income, a major employer and UVA, higher education, breeding a certain siloed thought process, maybe an influx of, do we want to call them carpetbaggers? Is carpetbaggers a fair nomenclature, Judah? Or is that a nomenclature, is that a terminology with uh, negative connotations? I would say it has negative connotations, right? Yeah, it tends to have negative connotations. A person from the northern state who went to the south all right, carpetbaggers, nomadic population, how would, how would we characterize it? A, a population that is uh, very um, 
new and has northeastern ties. We've had an influx of folks new to Charlottesville over a short period of time. Many from the northeast. That's fair to say. How many of you walking around the grocery store, Wegmans or Whole Foods or Trader Joe's, and you have a conversation with somebody and you hear they're from New York in some capacity? There is a boatload of Nuevo Yorkers, New Yorkers, in this community. August 12, 2017, a byproduct of that singular thought. Singular thought, a byproduct of August 12, 2017. I wanted to lead with that um, because when I get emails from viewers and listeners, <laughs> Kevin Yancey, those GD Yankees, gosh darn Yankees. When I get... Snowbirds. Carol Thorpe, Vanessa Parkhill. I'll get to your comments here in a matter of moments. Carol Thorpe, in fact, let me get to this one right now. Put Carol Thorpe's photo on screen if you could. And the power polls, Carol Thorpe is very valued viewer and listener of this fine and fair talk show. Carol Thorpe currently ranked nine in the power poll. We're going to update those power polls on Monday. Hello. Good to see you. Um, Neil, <laughs> Neil Williamson. When does one stop being a carpetbagger? 23 years? That's a little zing to yours, truly. When does someone <laughs> stop being a carpetbagger? When are you truly a local? What defines a hmm. local? It's a good question. Can you truly be a local if you move to the area, no matter if you've spent decades in the area? Do you have to be born in the area to be considered a local? Perhaps by some. Some people might consider that. If over <clears> half <throat> your life has been spent in the area, does that be make you a local? I think that should qualify you at least for uh, to be put on the list. Local status? Yeah. Can I fairly wear the townie badge? Interestingly, the townie badge, when you were a UVA student, you would always throw shade to townies. See, Georgia Gilmer watching the, the show right now. Put Georgia Gilmer's photo on screen. Georgia Gilmer, we will agree to disagree in combative, friendly debate fashion. She's number 12 in the power poll. She says, in my opinion, locals are born and raised here. A lot well, of people feel that way. That's not very inclusive of you, Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Georgia Gilmer. In my opinion, locals are born and raised here. Would that not mean the subset of locals getting slimmer and slimmer and slimmer? Yeah, and we'll continue to for... Diminish. I mean, I've never been a local. It's been... How long you've been here? I'm not even talking about just here. I'm talking about, uh, you know, we've moved around. So if, if you have to be uh, born in the place, I haven't been a local in... Uh, Man, you're a carpetbagger. How old am I? Uh, I can't even remember how old I am. So I think... like. How old are you? I think it's been over four decades since I've been a local anywhere. Are you hesitant to say your age? You don't have to say your age. I'm not trying to pressure you. I'm older than I look and younger than I, I feel. I knew you were going to say that. That's why we call you the young cowards. <laughs> John Blair watching the program. John Blair says, Jerry, I think you hit on something. Wealth. When I lived in Charlottesville in the 1980s. John Blair's number two in the family. Put number two in the family on screen, please. He says, when I lived in Charlottesville in the 1980s, I think it would be accurately described as Stanton plus UVA. The area may have had a few wealthy people in Albemarle, but overall it was more like a small mountain city located in the Virginia Piedmont. A lot of the extreme thought in the area is partly a product of so many very wealthy people moving into Charlottesville and Albemarle. While larger cities, New York City and Washington, D.C., for example, have extreme wealth disparities, they're homogenous. Hmm. Or, excuse me, humongous, humongous, humongous. You really don't see those disparities in small mountain cities. You did it in Charlottesville in the 1980s and the 1990s. I think this extreme wealth disparity that is so evident in a small city takes people who used to be old liberals and turns them into leftists because they have such extreme guilt looking at the disparity. Hmm. You want to unpack that, Judah? Do I want to unpack that? I don't know about that. Uh, I think he probably has a point. I think... Um, I think I, you know, 
How many I think legitimate a, I think, billionaires live in this city? I think a lot Deep of... Deep Throat, without naming any names, can answer this question for me. Legitimate billionaires living in the city of Charlottesville. Billion with a B. Deep Throat, would you say it's two or three legitimate billionaires without naming any names? Go ahead, Judah Wickhauer. I was going to say, I think uh, a lot of people, um, especially wealthy people, uh, balk at actually putting their their money where their mouth is, or their time, or their uh, you know their personal attention, and to compensate or overcompensate, they take on these political views that uh, I think attempt to force other people to do the things that they don't want to do themselves, and it's a terrible way to. Uh, to govern or to expect other people to, uh, to live their lives. He says, and he would know, in the city itself, four to five hmm. legitimate billionaires. Okay. In a city under 50,000. That is bananas. I guess. I... There's, and, and, there's a, and there's a family tree associated with that. No doubt. Lauren and Keswick says, you have to be born there to be considered a local. Wow. Kevin in Waynesboro says, put Kevin Yancey's photo on screen. He says, as a true townie, we always called it old money. And then he said, he's boxcar Willie, Judah. What? Boxcar Willie. I'm not sure what he's referencing there. The comments are coming in faster than I can keep up. Yeah, he's given me the list. I'd say it's five. That's, that's, uh, we're looking at five. I'm looking, I, I'm looking at the names. I, you got five. All right. And an under 50,000 population, 10.2 square mile city. We talk often per capita, restaurants per capita. Mm-hmm. I was having a conversation yesterday about soon there's going to be three padel. Padel. It's the fastest growing sport in Europe. Squash meets tennis, and it's played inside a court with glass walls. Padel. Okay. Very soon, within potentially this calendar year, there's going to be three padel courts in this area. Per capita, Charlottesville in the United States has one of the most amount of Padel courts, one of the most amount of restaurants, one of the most amount of breweries. The area per capita, one of the most amount of vineyards. With five B billionaires in the city, that is also on the list as well. Travis Hackworth, Virginia is full of old money. Shouldn't surprise you at all. He's watching in Danville right now. Danville is thriving as we speak. Carol Thorpe is encouraging me to read her first comment. She says, oh, the queen of Jack Jewett. She says this, many of us were experience, experiencing this ostracization and cancelization well before August 11th, 2017. Back in my days with the Jefferson Area Tea Party during the Tea Party movement of 2008 to 2013, which included the time of Occupy Charlottesville debacle, this was going on. She says, Carol Thorpe does, radical leftists ran poor Henry Graff out of Charlottesville. A fine, fair, and decent investigative reporter, Henry was a Charlottesville institution and Richmond News, and Richmond News gained an excellent reporter. You know why Henry Graff was run out of Charlottesville? I do not. Henry Graff interviewed Richard Spencer. Do you know who Richard Spencer is? He was heavily involved in August 12th. A neo-Nazi, a UVA graduate, mm -hmm. Richard Spencer, a University of Virginia graduate, a neo-Nazi, on the short list with on the short list with Jason Kessler for organizing August 11th and August 12th, 2017. 
Yeah. The two darkest days, arguably, in Charlottesville history. Henry Graff lined up an interview with Richard Spencer for NBC 29 hmm. and interviewed the neo-Nazi who organized A11 and A12. The collateral damage of lining up that interview and spending many minutes on air with Henry Graff, and I remember this vividly because the, this behind us, VMV Brands, what is VMV Brands, Judah? Tell the viewers and listeners. Virginia Media Ventures. No. What is VMV Brands? What does VMV Brands do? Advertising? It's an advertising agency. This is the company that pays you here. How would you care? What does VMV Brands do for work? Advertise. If you had to describe VMV Brands in 15 seconds to the viewers and listeners, how would you describe it? We're a small company that uh, helps people uh, helps people set their brand, helps people uh, gain exposure for their business, and uh, I don't know. VMV Brands strategically manages the brands of clients through print, radio, social, mobile, and digital advertising strategies. And as we raise the awareness for our clients and their missions and call to actions, they gain more customers and incremental revenue as a result. That's and the process of managing our clients' brands, we spend their advertising dollars on their behalf. And one of the outlets we were spending their advertising dollars on was NBC29. And when Henry Graff interviewed Richard Spencer, right after August 12, 2017, there were clients whose money we were managing who asked to go dark for a short period of time on the station because they did not want to be associated with the station or they feared a fallout from the viewing and listening public. Cancel culture. So in that 24, 48-hour, 72-hour period, during and following the interview with Richard Spencer, I had to work phones with the sales reps over there saying we need to pool for a week these particular clients because we fear cancel culture and collateral damage. At the time of the Richard Spencer interview, there was, interview, there was people in this community, Jamie, get his name, Jamie Dyer is a good example. Jamie Dyer of the, he's a musician, formerly of the Hogwaller Ramblers. At the time, Jamie was leading a charge of creating a list of advertisers on the network. Good grief. To boycott. Because Graf and news director at the time, Neil Bennett, he used to work at NBC29, intimate knowledge of this, worked there for five years, hosting and producing two television shows. Graf and Bennett, the news director, David Folke, the assistant news director, now the news director, chose to interview Richard Spencer. And just about any... Here's a question I have for you, a very pointed and challenging question for you. Does an interview of Richard Spencer merit airtime on a local news network when he helped lead a Nazi rally over a two-day period of time that resulted in a terroristic attack. We disagree on terroristic attack. And the death of Heather Heyer, the injury of others, and the two darkest days, arguably, in the city's history. I would argue that it, it bears hearing. I think you would, too. Uh, but clearly other people would just as soon silence anything that they disagree with. I think it's useful to at least, at the very least, understand uh, the mindset that uh, creates a person like that or you know, a situation like we were in uh, to better prevent it in the future, at the very least, uh, Pretending that something doesn't exist has never been a good way of, uh, of going about life. 
interviewing something, interviewing someone in a news format or in the dynamics of a newscast is the foundation of news. Yeah. What happens in the start and finish of a newscast, whether it's NBC 29 or CBS 19, whether it's the Today Show, the Oprah Winfrey Show, whether it's 60 Minutes, it's not supposed to be rainbows and sunshine. It's not supposed to be an endorsement of and the... And press release regurgitation. Nor, as Judah just said, is it supposed to be an endorsement of what they're talking about. The person or the viewpoint. Exactly. Instead, it's supposed to provoke... Supposed to provoke thought, discussion. Thought, engagement, feelings... Understanding. Understanding, entertainment, enlightenment, anger, frustration, clarity. But what ended up happening was a reporter, an award-winning one that grew up in green and had a Rolodex of City Hall insiders, was run out on a rail advertisers had to pool their dollars albeit for a short time sadly because a community saw the interview as as if not uh, acquiescence or uh, um, aligning themselves with those viewpoints, uh, then at least I don't I, at least something that uh, shouldn't be spoken should have been you should have been lauded for providing a uh, platform. Well, no, for, not for private, providing a platform to the to uh, Richard Spencer, but for I think providing a, a glimpse into into what makes that type of person tick. Neil Williamson, a quote from Voltaire: "Quote: I may not agree with what you have to say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it." End quote. Yeah. It's excellent, Neil. Carol giving you props. Ray Cadell says he ran into Judah the other day and had a chance to tell him personally that I enjoy his work. Ray's a great guy. Believe he bought you a slice of pizza. He did. At Vita Nova. Mm -hmm. Neil Williamson is curious of how local land use policies impacted the demographic shift in the region. That is a show by itself and a great question, Neil. Georgia Gilmer. Given you to props. Guess I'm a little picky as a seventh generation Virginian. <laughs> to be a Virginian either by birth, marriage, adoption, or even on one's mother's side is an introduction to any state in the union, a passport to any foreign country, and a benediction from the almighty God. <laughs> Already then. Georgia, that was great. <laughs> I'll read that again. George Gilmer, to be a Virginian either by birth, marriage, adoption, or even on one's mother's side is an introduction to any state in the Union, a passport to any foreign country, and a benediction from Almighty God. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, man. Stephanie Wells Rhodes. It was TV and social. I remember that very well. They were also making threatening phone calls. We had that conversation. I remember it like yesterday, Stephanie. I remember it like yesterday. That was an incredibly hectic time, that Richard Spencer interview for an advertising agency in Charlottesville. No doubt.
Because the advice you give to your clients, and I know this personally and professionally, is it will pass. Mm-hmm. But in the moment, it feels like it's the only thing in the world. Frank Beamer, Virginia Tech football coach, former coach, said this to his players every year. The good times, they're never as great as you think they are. And the bad times, they're never as bad as you think they are. You know what that's called? Perspective. Encouraging 18 to 22 to 23 year old men to have perspective. Stacy Baker Patty watching the show. On this topic, please read The Canceling of the American Mind by Greg, is it Lukianoff and Ricky Schlott? Excellent read and aptly describes what we are seeing today. Cancel culture. Deep Throat. News stations interview bad guys all the time. CNN interviewed Saddam Hussein. Many outlets have interviewed Putin. Interview is not an endorsement. He's thrown a little shade to Charlottesville. Typical hmm. brain-dead Seville left response Reflex above thought. To take it back further, should we have criticized Edward Morrow for interviewing Joe McCarthy? He wrecked Mm. Joe McCarthy. (laughs) You guys make the show so great. The viewers and listeners, you guys make the show so great. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for your contributions. Jerry, Carol Thorpe says this. This is from Carol Thorpe. Jerry, me bringing up Henry Graff... And you remembering it exactly how it played out is the kind of institutional knowledge about Charlottesville's history that we are slowly losing over time and risk losing forever in our community. Bingo. Yeah. That is 100% accurate, Carol Thorpe. Yeah. And the institutional memory and the institutional knowledge is eroding even more because of population influx an influx of population tied to a number of factors, whether it's UVA, whether it's Amazon and $11 billion in Louisa County, whether it's Northrop Grumman and, 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 and creating a $300 million headquarters in Waynesboro, mm-hmm. whether it's a biotech institute, a data science school, or Bloomberg in 2022 saying Charlottesville was the 15th ranked work from home jurisdiction or city in all of America. Technology has so many positive factors to it, but some of the collateral damage of technology is the gentrification of culture, thought, neighborhoods, and history. And gentrification, hell, the absolute... The word I'm going to use doesn't have the best connotations. So I'm going to open a thesaurus, type in the word I was going to use which is not a pleasant word. And instead, choose another one. Pillaging, ransacking, Hmm. the pillaging of culture, neighborhoods, the ransacking, Hmm. The robbery. How about the erosion? I think it's even more than that. You think? Because the erosion happens over time. Slowly, gently, and consistently. Where what I'm seeing right now is more aggressive and forceful and unwanted. Hmm. Pillaging and ransacking, ravaging, ripping, destroying. And maybe I'm coming across as an old fuddy duddy. don't recognize it as much as I used to what's out there do you I mean I'm 
maybe a little more used to change than some people. So I, I don't know that I'm entirely bothered by uh, by things changing, although uh, sometimes it's sad to see the directions in which things change. Bill McChesney, I blame the 1990s and the Yankee influx on the developers with Lake Monticello. That's where Keith Smith likes to use the joke. The gates, you know why they built the gates? <laughs> to keep the New Yorkers in. To keep, to the, keep Yankees the Yankees trapped in, in Lake Monticello. Now, I got to be careful with saying that because <laughs> my wife's family is wonderful and amazing and Yankees. All right, good start to the program. We have some items we need to get out of the notebook, shall we? We have an addition to the oldest restaurant in Charlottesville list that you put together. What is that addition? And then we should rattle off the restaurants in their years. These are the oldest restaurants in the Charlottesville, Virginia area. City of Charlottesville and Almoro County primarily we're talking here. What was the addition that you added? The addition is the mill room at Boar's Head, which actually used to be a mill. It's a beautiful place. It is a beautiful place. Doug, bartender Doug at the mill room. I know the mill room inside and out. My f- favorite cocktail is the old-fashioned mm-hmm. at the mill room at Borshead. And Doug makes it the best. Nice. It is amazing. Dates back to 1834, but as a... Uh, the modern restaurant uh, was founded in 1964. So with the addition of the mill room on the oldest restaurants in the Charlottesville area, the mill room checks in at number 10. Here's the list. You want to rattle off the list? You, your hard work put this together. The story's gone viral. Sure. The we restaurants on this list have shared the I Love Seville link. It has gone viral. If you want to check it out yourself, ilovesevil.com forward slash old Seville restaurants. Show us yours, J-Dubs. In first place, we have Timberlake's Drugstore, founded in 1890. We don't know exactly when they first started serving food, but uh, uh, I think it's the place that most closely uh, uh, can, be, uh, can be traced back to a specific time. Uh, next, we've got the Virginia Restaurant, founded in 1923, and Mickey Tavern. Well, give them the tidbits, the little tidbits under the photo, too. Okay. The Virginia Restaurant, founded in 1923, now owned by Andy McClure, friend of the program. Uh, from transforming into a soda fountain during Prohibition to temporarily going under during World War II, the Virginian has had quite an eventful legacy since its grand opening in 1923. Then Mickey Tavern in the three slot, founded in 1928, will staccato and alternate Judah. 1928 Mickey Tavern. Originally built in 1777, Mickey Tavern was bought by Mrs. Mark Henderson in 1927 and moved 17 miles to its current location and opened as a museum and tavern again in 1928. The fried chicken there is amazing. Followed by Riverside Lunch, founded in 1935. Uh, their tagline, the original Riverside Lunch since 1935, and, quote, flat out, still the best burgers in town. I was surprised Unquote. that it was 1935 for Riverside Lunch. That absolutely amazes me. Yeah, that is pretty wild. Wild. You take a family of four to Riverside Lunch, and you'll be hard-pressed to find a... Overall experience that matches that from a price point, taste standpoint, and quality of service. Yeah. In the five slot, Jack and Jill's, founded by 1944, owned by a friend of the program, Zanice. A greasy spoon that has enjoyed decades of success on East High Street, on, on High Street, excuse me. Jack and Jill's, home to crushed ice. Oh. Really? Nothing... There's few things in life that I appreciate more than crushed ice. Huh. I didn't know that. Are you talking about in drinks? Oh, yeah. The crushed ice takes drinks to a different level. Yeah. A crushed ice soda is... It's hard to beat. ...is great. Crushed ice soda? Did you say bourbon and Coke? I don't know that I've ever had crushed ice in a... uh, 
in a mixed drink. Have you ever had a bourbon and Coke? Yeah. You sure? I think so. Not recently. Okay. What were the things we figured out with you? You have not taken a photo with Santa Claus in your life. What was the other one? Something that recently came up that shocked me. Oh. Um, Judah's never had a photo with Santa Claus before in his life. What was the other one that shocked me? There was another one recently that shocked me. Viewers and listeners, do you remember? <laughs> I don't remember. Come on, you remember. No, I don't. Oh. The things that shock you are, uh, are sometimes baffling to me. Not having a photo with Santa Claus is blasphemous. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, I saw Elf over the Christmas break. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was not seeing Elf. <laughs> was that it? Not watching Elf the movie. Well, I've seen it now. You watched it over Christmas break. Was it not hilarious? It had its moments. What? Buddy the Elf? <laughs> Will Ferrell? I've never been much of a Will Ferrell fan. It, was, it had its <laughs> funny moments. I'm sorry. I uh, not like Will Ferrell. Different strokes for different folks. I, I, well, got a, I've got a different sense of humor. Corner Restaurant, founded in 1950, owned by the Templetons, owned and operated by one family since 1950. That's yep. amazing. Mm-hmm. My wife and I, she's watching the program, we need to take the boys to the Corner Restaurant. We need to do that. She always talks about how Charlottesville needs more diners. Here you go. The but, Nook, founded in 1951. Yeah. Charlottesville's original diner. Um, the White Spot founded in 1953. Mm-hmm. Foods of All Nations. <laughs> 1955. 1955. Foods of All Nations on the oldest restaurant list. I'll give it to you because they have food that you can eat there. They have tables. The Mill Room, 1964. The old fashioned there is ridiculous. The Aberdeen Barn, 1965. Oh. Angela and the Aberdeen Barn, just a fantastic experience. That cheese dip with the pretzel sticks. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And then the ramekins of toppings for the baked potato. You know oh. what I'm talking about? Yeah. Served in that silver spinny thing. And that's, that's definitely the way to do a baked potato. Oh, with your all cho- the your choice of Your choice of whatever you want to put on it and as much of whatever as you want to put on all it. All the fixings. Lumpkins Restaurant and Motel, founded in 1970. Who hasn't seen that big? Is it a rooster? Yeah. That big rooster while driving to Scottsville. Yeah. The IVN, founded in 1973, built in the early 1700s and rebuilt in 1816 after a fire. The IVN, oh, the should be capitalized in that copy right there. All right. And, and the should be added to the subheader. You have IVN restaurant in the 13th slot. We need to add the. It's part of the proper noun. That's the editor and me coming out. The IVN restaurant. You should capitalize the R there too with restaurant. The IVN restaurant was established in 1973, 1973 in order to provide the community and visitors with a richly historical and elegant atmosphere for dining. Integral yoga founded in 1975. Is integral yoga a stretch? We went with the mindset that if we're going to include if foods have, of all nations. Yeah, if we've got to put foods of all nations. But does integral yoga have tables inside the store to uh, eat? I've never been inside there. Does it have food that you can eat on site? C&O Restaurant founded in 1976 by whom? You learned this yesterday? Uh, Sandy. I don't remember his last name. Well, I'll give you a score of 100 because you got Sandy. Sandy <laughs> McAdams. The torch was passed to whom? Oh, I don't remember the in-between people. I just know the, the Dave most... Simpson, then Dean Maupin. Dean Maupin, yeah. the current owner. Dave Simpson, rest in power. Blue Moon Diner, founded in 1979. Miller's, founded in 1981. What famous musician got his launch at Miller's? I would say Dave Matthews. There you go. On Miller's, you have three axes next to the photo credit that needs to be removed. Let's see. Some institutions on that list. I really like the content you've been creating. Content is currency, ladies and gentlemen. Content is currency. Um, All right. A couple items I want to get out of the notebook before we... uh, Get ready for snowpocalypse. Uh, if you could put me on a one-shot, that would be fantastic. 
Please, sir. Thank you kindly. We're on a one? Yeah. That's fantastic. Thank you. Absolutely fantastic. Um, Wally Walker will join us on the Jerry and Jerry show on Tuesday at 10.15 a.m. Wally Walker, one of the greatest basketball players in UVA history. Wally Walker is, has returned to UVA, and his new role is Deputy Athletics Director. He serves as Chief Revenue Officer in collaboration with UVA, UVA Athletics External Affairs. Wally Walker is now responsible for fostering relationships and strategic partners, partnerships with Cav Futures, Cav Futures Foundations, Multimedia Rights Holder, Playfly, Virginia Sports Properties, and the Virginia Athletics Foundation to maximize revenue generation. Wally Walker is going to help lead the name, image, and likeness, NIL, revenue funnel to UVA Athletics Department. This is an incredibly important position. College athletics, specifically men's basketball and football, getting the best players now requires paying the best players. And you pay the best players by utilizing their name, image, and likeness in various capacities. Wally Walker has been entrusted to do this. He led Virginia to its first ACC basketball championship and the program's first NCAA tournament appearance as a a fourth year in 1976. He averaged 22 points a game. He finished his career with almost 2,000 points scored, 1849 to be exact. He was a first-team All-American in 1976. He has his jersey retired, number 41. He was a first-round, first-round draft pick, fifth overall by the Portland Trailblazers in the 1976 NBA draft. He spent eight years in the National Basketball Association. He won NBA championships with both Portland and Seattle. After playing pro basketball, he went to Stanford and got a degree in business, a master's in business administration, an MBA. Wally Walker worked for Goldman Sachs for seven years, then started his own management firm, was the general manager at one time of the Seattle Supersonics. He was a minority owner of the Supersonics for 12 years and held titles of president and CEO with the Supersonics. He served on the UVA Board of Visitors from 1997 to 2001. He's back in Charlottesville to lead NIL and other revenue endeavors. He will join us on the Jerry and Jerry Show Tuesday at 10.15 a.m. You're not going to want to miss that interview. Don't miss that interview. The Jerry and Jerry Show has become the number one Virginia sports talk show. It is A++++. Jerry, Hootie, Ratcliffe, and yours truly have known each other for nearly 20 years. The man is an icon, Hootie Ratcliffe. Donna Price will join me on the I Love Seville show on Wednesday. Former chairwoman of the Board of Supervisors, Donna Price, on the I Love Seville show on Wednesday. She's now retired. We'll talk about Albemarle County moving forward. We'll champion Supervisor Price. Very much looking forward to this. Two shot Judah Wickhauer. Closing thoughts. There's a new, um, a new history. <clears throat> what is it? The uh, history unlocked history escape room uh, feature coming up. Uh, I think it uh, involves Da Vinci and uh, a lot of his artwork. Should be fun. Um, I think it'll be ready in uh, in spring. So I'm excited to uh, to hear more about it as it uh, as it develops. This weekend, any plans? <laughs> uh, watching the weather. 
snowpocalypse for Judah Wickhour. I'm going to try to take my family to Corner Restaurant. Corner Restaurant. Nice. It's the Friday edition of the I Love Seville show. We hope you enjoyed the program as much as we did. If you could do us the favor of liking the show on social media, hit the like button, share the show, that would be even better. And let us know in the comment section if you like the program or how the show can improve. That would mean the world to us. Thank you kindly for joining us. So long, everybody. Stay warm. Snowpocalypse is coming. And stay safe on the roads. Snowpocalypse. Whatever happens, we're getting some precipitation, I believe. Buy your toilet paper now. Get your milk now. Snowpocalypse.